Welcome to the Real Life Discipleship Podcast, where the conversation about discipleship is always real for real people in real life. Hello again, I'm Lance Wigton. I'm the Communications Director here at Real Life Ministries, and I'm here again with my good friend Jim Putman. Jim, we just finished a series called Ever Wonder Why, and uh, it was a unique idea, I thought, because we, we talked about the different components of what goes on uh, in service, and you think about old, uh, old-timey old Christians like myself and yourself that have been in church uh, most of our lives, and you take for granted some of the things that we do during service, because that's just what we always do, and knowing that we have so many uh, new believers and younger people in, in the uh, audience, you decided to take a look at the components individually that we do during uh, service and talk about the uh, significance of those things like communion. One of the things, though, I noticed that you left out was uh, was giving. And I was curious about why why we did that, because that, obviously that is a large component of being a Christian. Yeah, this last uh, weekend, we started into what's called the Good Life Series. And we actually thought that the giving component, the offering we do every single week was so important Mm -hmm. that we were going to give it like three messages instead of just one. Because if you've been to our church service and most churches around the country, um, there's an offering time. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, if we're going to talk about why we do what we do in church services every week, ever wonder why, giving would be important Mm -hmm. uh, to talk about. And, And here's why we do it. Uh, the giving. I mean, if we're going to do what we've done on the rest of the subjects, we do it because the early church did it. If you go to Acts 2, it says that the people were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to what they taught they did, which is why they were uh, praying together. They were uh, taking communion together. They were in fellowship with one another. Uh, they, they formed their life around the apostles' teaching because the apostles were sent by Jesus to develop the church, to make disciples. And so they had that authority. They were doing miraculous things. They had been chosen by Jesus. And so they went and did what they did as a result of Jesus' teachings. They were just passing it on. And it noticed as they were teaching, uh, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. People were listening. They were shaping their behaviors, the way they spent their time uh, around the, the, the things that Jesus had taught them to do. It says that they sold their possessions and goods to give to whomever had need. So why did they start selling their stuff mm-hmm. and giving to people who had need? Well, first, they were in fellowship with each other. So they knew each other's need. They knew beyond the how you doing, fine, fine, fine. Everybody puts a fake smile on. They started to get to know each other. They knew that some people came from circumstances where they, maybe they were single mom with kids because their husband had been killed or died. They knew that there were some people that were believers that were losing their business. They, they, they cared about those around them and their stuff wasn't as important as the people, as the priorities of God. Mm-hmm. As they were changing based on the apostles teaching, the Holy Spirit's indwelling, Jesus's activity in their life, it changed the way they lived with stuff. And, and so if you're a believer in Christ, as we're being changed, we start to see the world and what matters differently. The early church from then on, uh, they didn't just sell their possessions and goods to give it to whoever had need there in Jerusalem. But as the church spread, the disciples taught them that when they came together 
as a church, giving was a part of that. In fact, 1 Corinthians 16 says that on the first day of the week they gathered, and, and Paul had said that they were to make a collection on the first day of the week when the Christians made so that, that they could participate in the missionary work all around the world. Mm-hmm. So Christians gave. Uh, it was a part of what they were being taught to do. And it was a sign of spiritual maturity to care about the mission of Christ and the needs of others mm-hmm. within the body of Christ. And so as you start to um, see the church form, it was centered around this constant reminding that what the world's offering you, telling you you need more of, uh, what matters, mm-hmm. they would come together to be reminded of in communion. Jesus died for us. We live for him. In worship, Jesus is most important. And God, God the Father, through Jesus the Christ, we have access. That the relationship with God and others is the most important thing. That that as they started to spend time together, it changed and they needed a constant reminding. And, and offering is this opportunity to go, oh, yeah, we don't live for here and now. We don't live for ourselves. Yeah, we we're supposed to take care of our own needs, but the mission work of of the church as it ministers to the needs of others Mm -hmm. and as it reaches lost people that is a priority i live for that so the reason we do it every single week is because we need to be reminded in this extreme and our our culture is extreme uh get more get it now get Mm -hmm. it fast we have to be reminded every week of who we are yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so to a church leader that would be listening to this and saying, well, actuality, uh, we don't get a lot on the plates on Sunday. We get more through digital giving and people giving uh, throughout the month. And so I've heard there's a lot of churches that are in the conversations of or already made a decision to drop offering as part of their uh, Sunday worship because it, you know, it just doesn't move the needle like other things. And so why do it? But you, your, your, your point is it's not about passing the buckets. It's about reminding the people. Yeah. And obviously there's the practical side of it. Some people aren't using digital. Mm-hmm. Some people are, but you know, we use the buckets to also collect the cards that say, Hey, I was here. Cause we right. want to chase the strays. If they're missing, we know who's missing because we know who's here. We've got new people that are coming. We want to create as many different contact places and ways to to meet people and connect them and ways to chase down those who are who are kind of wandering so that we can remind them of who they are. The, the buckets don't just serve one purpose for us, but certainly when we do it, when we talk about it, when we put it in front of them, it's meant to go, what am I living for? Mm-hmm. Who do I, you know, the baptisms every week that we do, remember that reminds us of our mission as well, mm-hmm. that everything that is given in this body uh, is is used to train people, minister to people, reach people. And that's kind of like that. Yeah, that's why we do it to see people come to know Christ and look at that up there and all that took organization and teaching. And, and, and so that's the celebration piece, but the giving piece is this reminder of you don't live for here. You live for eternity. Well, and I totally agree with your comment about giving really helps them change their perspective uh, on, on more spiritual matters. And it changes their hearts to be away from the, you know, get, get more, get now, get it quicker. Uh, and uh, the individual impact on, on your congregation are, are the reason that you're doing some of these things. As it leads to discipling someone individually or in a group, uh, how do you bring in the conversation of giving? Well, first of all, if you, the best form of discipleship happens relationally. Mm-hmm. 
the purpose of what we do together is to preach the word in, in general. And then the, the good disciple makers will take, hey, what, did you, what you heard this last week, what were your thoughts on that? When you're, when you're, when you heard the sermons on giving or you saw that they were giving, what did you see in that? It gives us something to jump off of so that we can start talking about the place of money in our life, the, the, the place of possessions and things. No good disciple maker is going to bypass the subject of finances and giving. If the Bible talks more about money than it does any other subject, then there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, a, especially in America, it is the issue of what's enough, uh, get more, status through buying things, accomplishment through climbing the corporate ladder so that you can get more, so you can be happy. And and if we're not taking on this issue of where are your priorities, what matters most, eternity or the temporal, what matters more, yourself or people, it, a good disciple maker is going to work with the overall gathering together of the believers to press down on the individual practical ways that a person needs to process that. That is a part of discipleship. And each individual needs to process that in their own life and then learn to help other people process it. Every parent should be walking through this with their own kids. Mm-hmm. What's God's? What what do, what should you live for in this life? How should you manage practically your income as a spiritual leader and a participant in a home? How that is essential. That's why Jesus talked about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's great, and I also think about. Uh, Maybe it's because my glass is always half full, but I always think about how great it'll be, though, once those people uh, that you're discipling risk or take these baby steps and start giving for the first time, actually get into some kind of a crisis. And and, and because of the fact that they're giving, be able to see uh, God come through in their own lives and, and that those are the foundations, uh, the mortar that causes uh, their faith to grow and for them to hang on to in the future and become disciple makers on their own. Yeah, I think when you step out in faith, you get to see God step in in tangible ways. Mm-hmm. Right. And and what talking about money does is you have to ask, how much do I really need? How do I live for God and others? Uh, and and again, you're t- when you're talking about money, you're talking about money, possession, but you're also talking about security. Mm-hmm. If I give what I have that might be extra right now, then I'm going to have to deal with less. And so what's enough? But secondly, if I give what I have right now to minister to another person, to be a part of what God's doing in the church and be obedient in that, then I'm not going to be able to give more towards retirement. What about the future? And what about all these things, right? Uh, do I really trust God? Mm-hmm. Do I really live with less right now for the I think you should have savings. I think you should have emergency money. Good, wise uh, living lives in such a way that you put a boundary on what you think you have to have so that you can have emergency money. You can have um, uh, the ability to be generous, a generosity account. Sure. But you also are giving to the Lord first. Right. And you're obedient because you're called on to tithe. You put all those things in order, which means that you don't just live for everything else the world tells you that you need. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you have an emergency account. Sometimes you have a generosity account. And now you have a crisis. And and what you have saved doesn't equal, you know, what what's going to have to go out. And the Lord steps in in some way because you've been being obedient to him. And it's a a miraculous thing. Mm -hmm. But these are all things that as Christians 
uh, we have to walk in this tension of we do live right now on planet Earth, but we do live for eternity. And what's the wise way to do both? And that takes a discipleship process. And it takes people going, I'm going to be courageous enough to help you deal with a very personal issue if I'm discipling you. But secondly, you are going to have to go, I want to know what God has to say. So I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to invite people into my life so that I can learn mm-hmm. what, what God's word says about those things. And see that as a good thing, because everything God says is for my good. Speaking of uh, modeling, every time we talk about an emergency account, I always think about when you first came to Post Falls to start real life, you had that uh, Mazda truck. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't have any idea how many miles that thing had on it when I first met you, but it was not a new truck. No, I've never owned a new truck, but that truck, there's relatively, you know, old terms, you know. Yes. It could be old to one. It was so old. I have no idea how it ran. I I agree. Other than the fact that you didn't have an emergency account and that and that truck ran and ran until you sold it. And then I think it actually blew up. Yeah. 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 The Lord supplied what I needed. And of course, I didn't sell it to somebody because I knew it was going to blow right. up. I just figured it had worked so well for so long. I, I sold it for cheap and then it blew up. Uh, God kind of held it together. Because that's all I had. Yeah. And it was enough because a, a car for me is not a, a matter of status. It's supposed to get me from one place to the other. So I really don't care about that. And you're not going to lure me with with that. But I have no idea how that thing stuck together, except that God kept it together because of what I was using it for. Right. And you didn't have you didn't put your. A hope in it being secure. You didn't have an emergency fund to take care of it. Uh, you basically were, were focused on what God had you doing at that time. And he took care of that. Yeah. I'm not saying you should never have a new car. Right. Uh, I'm just saying all of us, if we're going to be a part of what God is doing, he gives us a certain amount of money. And we could say, well, if he gives give me more, I'd be able to do more. And he says, Have you done what I asked you to do with what you already have? Have you said I have enough and God's taken care of my needs so that therefore, uh, you know, and and why has he done that? Because because personally, I believe I've been I'm obedient with what he has has said to do with what I have. So I'm tithing. I'm trying to to live my life in such a generous way that I'm seeing the needs as, as God shows them to me. And sometimes I can afford to have more stuff and sometimes less, but it always starts with being obedient and then being faithful with what what you have and what he's given you, using it for his purposes. And then if God is not against you getting a new car, right? but he is against you getting a new car if you're giving up the things he told you to do to get it. Right. What did you give up to get it? And if you can be generous and you're serving the Lord and being obedient with what he says and you can afford a new car, okay. But if you chose that new car because of status or you think you need it or it's going to answer some sort of problem and you didn't have the ability to be obedient to the Lord and be generous as God showed you how to do that, to get that car, you've made a big mistake. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. And you are and, and you are right about it being relational. And 
I think the idea of, of giving and showing people generosity and, and letting them have a better relationship with Christ is worth going through the uncomfortableness of talking about money, which is, is something that we as Americans think about a lot, but we don't like to talk about to other people. And I, I think that your uh, point about doing that in church and in, in, in individual groups is so important for their personal growth. Yeah, I think discipleship takes knowing what the word says and what it means. Mm-hmm. You got to learn that. And the way I've learned that is I had a disciple maker help me to process all of that. And then go, all right, how does that apply to me practically where I am? Right? So, what are the steps I take to get there where God has asked me to go? What do I need to change? And I need people to help me process that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just use an example I've used before because it's the one that st- that, that uh, really stands out to me the most. Um, I, I preached on God hates divorce at one point, and I got up and said God hates divorce, and, mm-hmm. and marriage is between one man and one woman for the rest of your life. And I and I was responding to I had had too many people come in and say they were Christians, but they were getting a divorce for unbiblical reasons. So mm-hmm. I got up and preached the sermon. I'm out in the foyer, and uh, this little lady, about 38 years old or so, uh, comes up, and she's crying. And she's got three kids, and she, and uh, two of them were daughters, I think. Maybe all three of them were. And she's crying, and she says, I know what I need to do, Jim. I, I know that I've sinned against God, and... And I, in order to, you know, I'm struggling in every possible way and I know what I need to do. I need to go back to my husband. Mm-hmm. And I, at first, my first thought was awesome. But then it was like the Holy Spirit said, hey, ask her why she left her husband. So I said, well, can you tell me why you left? And she said, well, my husband was sexually abusing my daughters. Mm-hmm. To that, I went, oh, no, 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 no. You know, you're not going to go back to your husband. Mm-hmm. It changes things. Right. Now, had I preached a biblical truth about God's desire for marriage to uh, be between a man and a woman for life? Yes, that was true. But he also has given us uh, reasons, or if not very many, but some reasons why it might be the right move to leave. If they've committed adultery, uh, your your spouse and they're and, and they're con- continuing that. If they leave you, in this case, if they're sexually abusing your daughters, no, you don't go back to them, uh, to him. Mm-hmm. But she she had heard my message and she didn't know enough scripturally to know what's the nuances to that. Is there any more to it? I, I didn't in this sermon. I can't deal with every possible right. situation. I preach the truth. But what would have happened if she had left and hadn't asked me? She would have misapplied the truth to her personal situation. Right. And it would have led to damaging, destroying her daughters. Right. And, and those girls also uh, could have could have gotten in their heads that that's what God wanted to happen. It's for them to be sexually abused, right? Yeah, absolutely So right. what I had to say is, hold on, hold on. Do you have anybody you're doing life with? Well, no. You don't have any ladies, anybody to help you walk through right application. No. See, my job then is to go, okay, I've got to get you with somebody that can take the scriptures and then rightly apply them to your individual situation. Mm -hmm. In this case, it was not to go back to her husband. In this case, she needed somebody to help her walk through how do you apply scripture to your life with the nuances that knows you, that you can ask questions. Mm -hmm. And so... 
In her case, it was not to go back to her husband which would mean that she'd have to continue with three kids struggling financially, struggling to know what to do, barely making it. And so in her case, she needed somebody to walk her through what's the right answer, but then help her live out the right answer. Because in her right answer, it was going to mean to continue to suffer and struggle because of these decisions this guy was making. Right. Well, she she was struggling. She wasn't going to make it. So she needed to be with somebody who'd help her find the right answer, but then live it out. How can we help her? with her three daughters? How can we help her financially get on the right path? How can we help her through this struggle that she was having because of somebody else's sinful decisions? It's the same in discipleship. If I preach God's word, that tithing is, is God's plan, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yet she's a single mom or she's married to a man who says, no, you will not tithe my money. Mm-hmm. How is she supposed to apply that rightly in that situation with her husband when she's not the sole? She's got to honor her husband. So what does it look like for her to live out that answer with a husband who's not a believer? Well, that, that takes some understanding of nuances and to walk her through what's the right application. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, my wife just met with a woman the other day who's a single mom and she's a, a brand new believer and she needed to know how do you set up a budget? She wasn't making it. My wife went and said, all right, let's talk about this. Let's walk this through in your personal life. What I loved about this woman is she didn't know what she was supposed to do. And she asked rather than being right. defensive. Right. My wife went and met with her. Now she comes back to me and says, hey, hey, honey, this woman is actually doing a really good job and she can't make it. The only thing she can do is take another job. But she's got three kids. How does she take another job and do this? Well, at this case, it's now, all right, how can we as a life group help get her on her feet and get rid of some of the things that she needs help with? How can we support her? She's doing her part, but it's not enough. So now how do we help her walk through this? Discipleship is taking the message, helping apply it the right way, and then playing our part to help them become disciples and support them as they're walking this journey through. That's what it means to be a disciple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's another great case of why you can't from the pulpit or whoever's preaching can't get into the details of now what if you're a single mom or now because otherwise the message just loses all context because you're trying to go to these little details and so that's not the that's not the job of the person that's speaking the gospel and it's also not the person's job just to hear the hear what the preacher's saying without having a relationship that they're already in, a discipleship relationship, a small group that they can ask questions about and live live out what is being being said. Exactly. They work together and actually they don't work apart. They don't they never were supposed to. Right. That's why they, they if we go back to, you know, the Ever Wonder Why, we talked about in that series that God's design for the church was that they met together in temple courts and there was preaching. Mm-hmm. But then they met together house to house and they did life together. And, and and so they were supporting each other, learning from one another, modeling for one another, doing life together, both in the learning and the living. Mm-hmm. And that's God's method for the church. And so many people, uh, they want to they want to create a church around their own image instead mm-hmm. of going, you know what? No, it's 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 I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to be what Jesus asked me to do. I'm gonna do what he said. And there is such blessing in all of that. Mm-hmm. It's har- it's harder, but it's worth it. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, Jim, thanks a lot for uh, this conversation about giving and uh, how it helps uh, our disciples. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on the Real Life Discipleship Podcast, where we want you to remember discipleship is simple, it's just not easy.